Welcome to School Choice Report, where we explore everything about one of the most important education topics. I'm your host, David Hardy. In this podcast, we'll be talking to experts, educators, and parents to get a deep dive into the world of school choice. Whether you're an advocate, skeptic, or just curious, this podcast is for you. So sit back, relax, and let's get started with the conversation. Ryan Boyer is the business manager for Laborers District Council and the head of the Philadelphia Construction Trade Council, the first African-American to head that organization. It's been written that he's a no-nonsense operator in the Philadelphia Inquirer, and his recent commentary in the Philadelphia Citizen drives this home. Welcome to the program, Ryan. And one other thing, our special connection, you're the father of a Boys Latin graduate. Thank you, David Hardy. Yes, I am. And I'm a proud uh, father of a boys Latin graduate. And that is part of my passion because I know his story. All right. And I know the options that we were confronted with had we not had boys Latin. Well, I think that your story is like a lot of stories in this city. I'm I'm so glad you sent him there. He was if nothing but a, a perfect gentleman for me. I'll tell you that. Yeah, yeah, he was a good kid. He he sung at commencement, mm-hmm. and he he unlocked talents that we didn't know. And boys, Latin really not only helped them academically, but it helped them to grow because the level of responsibility, just having your uniform, and you're responsible for your uniform, and having to be on a crew team and the swim team. Mm-hmm. You know, it was it was a great learning environment, but it was also a great community for him. He found community there. And the funny thing is that he's still friends with about six or seven guys that he graduated And he's going to be friends with them for life. That's, that's kind of a, yes. a thing that happens in single gender schools. Yes. So, so I want to ask you, what drove you to write and speak out about the Lifeline Scholarship in, in Harrisburg? And it's now known as the PASS program. But what, what got your attention about this whole thing? I am passionate about how we educate our youth and more importantly, how we are so passive about the miseducation of generations of young people in poor neighborhoods. There is almost no talk about it. So when I see anything that looks like oxygen, I cling to it because we have to do something about these children. We can't have throwaway kids in our society. And I believe that if we say nothing and we do nothing, we're going to have a generation of kids destined to lower classes and we'll effectively have a caste system in America. Yeah, it's a, I mean, it's lined up like that right now. Yes. And, and you know that there are some neighborhoods where there's just no access to a good school. And to be stuck in that situation to me just seems like it's an untenable situation. It is. And and I the one thing I try to strive for is authenticity. Mm-hmm. And you can't have my story, a kid that grew up adjacent and sometime in public housing, the rise to be the first black running the building trades and, you know, the, the, the first black chair of Delaware River Port Authority. If I didn't have an education filled with choice. My mother was a single mom, although my father played a great part. And I don't like to say that like my father wasn't there. But my mother and my grandmother and my dad 
they they all put their money together to send me to a Jesuit school. That was a choice that they made. Yes, and a sacrifice. And it was definitely a sacrifice. Like I worked every summer for a very long time, and I've I've only gone to my neighborhood and catchment school for two years of my academic life. So uh-huh. I'm a product of choice, right? Whether it being going to the Conwell School or Roxborough's high-tech program, mm-hmm. it was always a choice, right? right? We had a choice because I took a test, special admit school, but it was always a choice that my parents chose. And I made that choice for my children. And quite frankly, we try to teach values in my home and we're Muslim and we're, we're devout as we can be. And quite frankly, it hurt me to teach my son to lie. Mm-hmm. And that's what I had to do. We lived in Southwest Philly at the time. Mm-hmm. And the choice was we, we didn't have the financial resources to send two children to private school. So the choice was either we sent him to the neighborhood school where we knew he wouldn't flourish or we would lie and use a family member's address to send him to McCall. Mm-hmm. And we made a choice to send him to McCall. Good choice. You know, when I read that story in the paper, I got a chuckle because my mom did the same thing. Lied about our address. And the funny thing was, I mean, this is, this is I'm first grade when this is happening. Yeah. And the teacher asked me my address and I gave the address where I lived <laughs> instead of the address where I was supposed to live. And the teacher told me that wasn't my address. And I'm arguing with it because, you know, I'm six years old. I knew what my address was, but I didn't realize I wasn't in on the lie. <laughs> so they yeah. should have put me No, in. we put him in on the lie because we know. Listen, I, I have my, my aunt Sandra Gowan, mm-hmm. who is now 63 years old. And when she read the story, she was like, well, you know, I graduated from Upper Darby High School mm-hmm. and we lived in West Philly. Right. And she just chuckled. I know exactly what that meant, that my grandmother, even back then, lied or found an address so she can go to Upper Darby High School. Yeah, well, you know, this is funny, because my mom's, uh, one of my mom's younger sisters, my Aunt Helen, when she died, she was 75 years old. And I never knew where she went to high school, but I knew that my grandmother lived on Arizona Street in North Philly, okay, 26 Mm -hmm. in Arizona. She went to Germantown. So... Our family was looking for school choice back in the 40s. <laughs> so, I mean, and, and I don't think we were alone with that. That's what people did. They looked for the best option for their children. What's happened? Because it doesn't seem to be the same amount of public school options as there was even 25 or 30 years ago. You see that? Dr. Hardy, I do see it. And part of the problem is we've let some great program atrophy because of a a philosophy that everybody should be treated the same. Everybody can't be treated the same. You know, when running a school, some kids need a pat on the back and some kids need a kick in the Mm -hmm. butt metaphor. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right. right. So, so we need different academies in schools. Like we've always had different academies in school. I tell the story of my ex-wife that was that cannot be possible now. 
She went to all neighborhood schools and her last school being Ben Franklin High School, where she was the valedictorian, mm -hmm. but she was in the motivation program, full academic scholarship to Villanova, mm -hmm. finished one of those cum laude summa or whatever, mm -hmm. brilliant, and the full scholarship to graduate school. And she has a master's degree fully, and she went to all neighborhood schools. But within that neighborhood school, they, they realized the brilliance of her and they separated and they had the brilliant kids together. And then you, you get the kids that, so we have to have some sort of tracking, right? right? That is just what it is. And they, they went away from that and those excellent academies that they had. And I don't know, when I, when I came up and I look at all my friends that went to public schools, they, they primarily went to 10 public schools if they're successful and three of those no longer are, are the same public school. Mm -hmm. Bach isn't right. Bach is gone. Yeah. Dobbins is a shell of his former self. Gretz. And Gretz is now a Gretz charter. And, and the, and Gretz is now in this and Randolph's. Oh, yeah. it's, it's done. Like they've allowed these schools not to be excellent. And we have to have excellence, right? If you're going to have the middle class send their kids to school, there has to be when you don't every year people go for special admit schools, mm -hmm. the central, mm -hmm. the master. And if they don't make it, it doesn't mean that they weren't good enough to make it. It just meant that it wasn't enough spots. So what do you do with those children? Those are the children that populated the motivation programs or the, the excellence programs that they had at Overbrook. They no longer have them. So we have to bring those academies and regular schools back. It's like my, my son now goes to, I said he went to a mainline school. He goes to Archbishop Carroll. Mm -hmm. This year he's entering the 11th grade. Mm -hmm. He will be taking AP classes. Right. It's all his friends aren't taking AP, but he is. So the AP class kids, what were the AP class kids? Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, it, you know, advanced placement, international baccalaureate. He has a couple of those classes as okay. well. Those are, are we, it's not to say that the kids that are on a regular track are any worse or any better, but these kids, they're pushing because they're, they're, they've achieved a certain amount of excellence right. within the school. Right. And, and listen, listen, you educate everybody to their highest level. And, and they're yes. fine where they're supposed to be. And I, I've always believed that. Have, have you heard or felt any pushback for speaking out? about kids in the worst performing schools and their need for more educational opportunities? No, uh, that's the thing. No one will ever say I'm wrong because they know I'm correct. Mm -hmm. We have, we, we have maybe who, who, who is aligned with like, well, you align with the super right wing. I say, well, I don't have an ideology. I have whether you're right or you're wrong. So if you're right on one issue, I'm not afraid to engage you on that issue and fight you on the other 99. Right. Right. <laughs> or if I'm with you with 98 and you're wrong on two, I'm going to fight you on those two. two. Right. So, but what I'm telling you, no one could say that the status quo works, right? And we need to have a conversation because what I ask people that may give me a little pushback because, okay, it could be a Republican idea, let's mm -hmm. say. I say, well, have the, the opponents of this come back with a counter that can educate those kids. Well, no. Well, then I'm I'm with Here this one go. because this is the best idea we have. That because we know that the current status quo isn't working. We know that that is a fact that no one would argue with you about because the numbers bear it out. So, in in lieu of not having anything else, I have to be for this.
Well, I don't think there are very many other things that they parse out like they do education. Like there's no food shortage so that you only give a certain amount of people something to eat. Everybody can eat in America. Like, you know, same thing with housing. There's You can get houses. There's not enough schools. Uh, there's not even close to enough good schools. And there's a whole lot of neighborhoods where there's no good school. And for us to sit and do nothing seems to me like the worst possible <laughs> approach to trying to do something about this. What do you think? No, I, I agree literally wholeheartedly that doing nothing is not an act of leadership. When you see a crisis as a leader, you must change it. I almost think is the fundamental duty. If we, if, if the Constitution says students are entitled to a fair and thorough education, then if they're not fit, less than 10% of them are passing basic tests or proficient, I, I would argue that they're not getting a thorough and efficient education. And also the argument about funding, just because I'm for vouchers don't mean that I don't want equal funding. I do. I want fair funding. Who doesn't want that? But I also want fair funding tied to some type of reform. I don't want to give you the money so you could just fail with more money. Well, the other thing, too, is that fair funding don't always get to the people who need the fair funding. If you look at, at the way the district works, their most experienced teachers, their best teachers are at the highest performing schools because those are the best jobs. And when you look at who works at the schools that need the most te- the best teachers, they're places where they send the most inexperienced teachers. They cost less. They have less resources in those schools. So if you bring in fair funding, the rich are going to get richer at the top, but I'm not sure that's going to really float all the way to the bottom. Well, that that is the problem. That's why we need some basic reforms. And the basic reforms I'm talking about is we have to incentivize teachers to go to the lowest performing schools, right? Mm -hmm. So if I'm a Mm -hmm. teacher and I have seniority and I could be at a, a, a great school where learning is going to automatically occur they have no social issues and they have the top of the top well i'm gonna do that because i'm getting paid the same amount as if i go into a low-income neighborhood where there's some you know there's some social emotional problems you don't have the infrastructure in the neighborhood so we should incentivize the great teachers to go there or challenges challenges like right now i'm in a construction industry if i'm part of a crew that has maximum productivity and that company has another job that has low productivity, or what they're going to do is take half of my crew down to the low productivity job and and steal some of the stuff that we have the high productivity job. Right now, you can't do it. And I I just came with something off the top of my head. Let them only take the Mm -hmm. 10% of your teachers from Master and Central we could take every year. Give us the the bottom 10 that you want to have that you leave exposed so that we could bring that culture to another school as opposed to now the mm-hmm. best and brightest teachers go to the schools that are already great schools. That makes no sense to me. Well, you know, you mentioned something that, that really is important, and that's school culture. And, uh, I mean, you know from, from the way we ran Boys Latin that culture is really everything in the school, that everybody has to have a reason to be there every day, and everybody, everybody teachers, parents, students, People who work in the school, everybody's there for the same reason, for the benefit of those students. And to make that kind of culture is is tough. But I don't think they even try to do those kind of cultures 
in, in the neighborhood schools and low-income neighborhoods. Think about think about the miracle that is that is boys Latin, right? You have a group of children which society will tell you is the most aggressive, most policed group of mm-hmm. juveniles. Yep. Boys between the ages of 14 and 18 at their prime pubescent ages, right? Mm-hmm. Go on the boys' Latin anytime. You don't need an appointment. It is very orderly. There is no <laughs> chaos. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they follow the rules. It's amazing, right? Mm-hmm. And these are all boys. No, no, no girls around. Mm-hmm. Not, not a, so there's nothing that, that, to, to st- prevent them from just being their natural selves, who they are. Mm-hmm. But they understand that the culture demands a certain behavior from them. And they live up to that behavior. Think about it. It is a miracle. And I've I've told politicians, okay, so you don't want to give boys Latin room to grow. So what's your alternative if you had a boy? Mm -hmm. Would you send your kid to boys Latin or West Philadelphia? Mm -hmm. Well, I, you know, I look, I'm glad of what we did at boys. Latin. There's a lot of good charter schools in this city. No, it is. And, And that whole idea of stifling growth is something that really uh, it, it really impacts low income black people and brown people more than anyone else because everybody else has other other cards to play. But if you're stuck in a neighborhood and you don't have the resources and you only have one, at one school choice, you really don't have any choice at all. No, I'm, I'm going to tell you a great regret I had. Mm-hmm. I was a board member at Independence Charter School. Mm-hmm. I left the board not because I did not like the work, but I had friends pressure me to get their children in there, and we went off a lottery, and I couldn't right. help them, and I was losing too many friends. <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah. You know, I'm I, I'm serious. They were like, I need to go to this school, and I'm like, well, I don't I don't know how to help you, but mm-hmm. that is how important it is. You know, global leadership. All these schools, people are dying to get in, and and when they don't get in, they feel so deflated because, as a parent, you know how important it is to get your child into an environment that's about learning. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's it. It's shame, and they get it. They know it's important. Well, I think that you look at the politicians that we have. What is it going to take to get some of these politicians to work on something for these thousands, these tens of thousands of children in failing schools? What are they going to wise up to this? I, I thought about that, uh, Dr. Hardy. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to take a bit of leadership and I'm going to convene the meeting shortly after Labor Day and have the numbers. Right now I'm compiling the numbers of these schools and I'm going to ask them, if not this, what? Because that's mm-hmm. the question that we have. We can't just be no, no, no. Well, what is your alternative? Because next year, the reality is we're going to put kids in those failing schools and not one politician, not one individual believes that anything is going to change. They know that those kids are going to get miseducated to the tune of 96% of them. Mm-hmm. I mean, that this is the reality that we're allowing to let go and Like I said, it's a generation of people that we are allowing to be miseducated and we have the power and influence to do it now. So let's do something. I told them, if you don't like the current bill, 
what's your amendments? How do we amend it? How do we make it better? And because right now we're, we're at, it's like when you're going to triage. Mm-hmm. When you're going into triage, you don't get a chance to do the perfect thing. You have to do the thing to stabilize the patient right now and later right. on you do the perfect. So right now we need to stabilize the per- person. I can get into a philosophical debate about should tax dollars go to private. I, I don't know that. that That's a debate that we don't – but we don't have the luxury of having it because we have schools right now that could take these kids and do a better job than the schools they currently go to. That is the net net of it for me. You know, I look at places like Philadelphia Masjid. They're in the old uh, St. Tommy Moore school building where Clara Muhammad. I know Imam Nuruddin wants to open up a school. Yes. A Lifeline scholarship could make that possible. And I know that there are a lot of people, small religious schools or even small secular schools that could open if they had a funding stream that will follow poor kids because rich kids or kids with means have money following them. That's their family money. Or they their family buys a house in a place where there's good schools. But poor kids are stuck. And what they need more than anything else is funding. And so I kind of see something like that as being able to spark more neighborhood schools that are run by people who know the kids and are invested in the kids. And I think you'll get a better result. Well, listen, my wife, the sister Claire Mama Schools, if you look at the one the, the one thing that charter schools certainly did was they kind of wrap not kinda. Not kinda don't get soft on it. They ruined they ruined the private school industry. They did. They, they ruined the they ruined the independent yeah. black uh private yeah. schools. They did. Winfield Academy. Yeah. My kids went to Winfield Academy mm-hmm. before I couldn't afford it anymore. You had Woodbine Academy, you had Ivy League. Yeah. Yeah, Sister Claire Muhammad Schools. Lutheran so, High School. There are a bunch of them. Yeah, yeah. There are a bunch of them. There were a bunch of them in, in the charter school. So, so you're right. A Lifeline Scholarship can revive those. And if you look at if we we have proof points. Mm-hmm. Look at those those graduates from those schools. They're doing phenomenal things sure. now. Like, they're doctors, lawyers. You know, my accountant is a lawyer and a doctor. He graduated from Claire Muhammad. Like, uh-huh. Uh, see, uh, one of the, the the founders of Emsco, one of the biggest black companies here, is a graduate from, from Claremont. I mean, these guys, it was it was a great institution. So you're you're absolutely right. But those are the type of conversations that I'm not afraid to have. That we have to have because we have to ask ourselves, who are we beholden to? Are we beholden to our constituents and our residents, or an interest group. Now listen, and I'm not a union, but everything that I've gotten in my life has been because of the union mm-hmm. movement. I believe in the unions. I believe in the teachers mm-hmm. union. I also believe in failure and success. When you're failing, you have to change. I am a Sam State and senior, Pat Gillespie, in the construction industry in the mid to late 80s, they had a large problem with, with crack cocaine. So therefore, they instituted drug testing in the ADAP program because we sell skilled labor. And the second we're not selling skilled labor, you have to do something different. And I just encourage my friends at the teachers union to do something different. You cannot have the same contractual rules you had back in the 1950s and 2023 and expect it to continue to work. Yeah. Well, Ryan, I really enjoy 
I appreciate you coming on today. What you're doing is very courageous and very, very important for Philadelphia because we haven't had a lot of Black leadership stand up and, and speak the way you've been speaking. And I think it's very needed and I think it's going to make a big difference. So thank you for doing what you do. And thank you for doing what you're doing. Any way you invite me, I'll come. Thank you. Well, you know, you know, I'm at Girard College now. I'm gonna bring you down there. Well, listen, we have I have some ideas for okay. that. So I'll definitely Good. thank you. I'm looking forward to the conversation. Ryan, thank you so much. Ryan Boyer, the head of the construction trade union in, in Philadelphia and a school choice advocate. And that's it for today's episode of School Choice Report. I hope you found the conversation enlightening and informative. If you have any feedback, questions, or suggestions for future episodes, please reach out to us at schoolchoicereport.com. Don't forget to subscribe to our show wherever you listen to podcasts so you'll never miss an episode. Until next time, this is David Hardy signing off. Thanks for tuning in.